0: I just became more aware of it where I was very intentional and I think that the answer to all of it and what radical love and having a radically loved life, the sort of undertone experience is to make a choice, to make those choices intentionally. And I feel that when we do that, it gives us a deeper sense of empowerment.
1: I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges
2: and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we have author, speaker, podcaster, and meditation teacher, Rosie Acosta on the podcast. Rosie, we just finished your book. You are radically loved, and we're excited to dive into all the things today. I wanted to start the interview off by helping people understand who you are, and I think that that starts with your upbringing. I know that you're known for spirituality and wellness today, but when you were growing up, you said it felt like those things weren't for people like you, and I would love if you explained that.
0: Yes, well, first of all, thank you both for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Anytime I get to connect with like-minded women, I feel like we're just having a cup of tea together and we could just sit down and have a conversation. So thank you again. And yes, I feel like this is something we can all relate to. I mean, having access and tools to things that can create more grounding in our life, more connection are so much more accessible now today than they were back when I got on my path. And yeah i grew up in a really chaotic environment in the early 90s in east la it was very gang riddled and there was just a lot of chaos by the time i was a teenager i was acting out i was getting arrested i was part of the bad kids crew and it wasn't until i got arrested For the third time, I always hesitate because I'm like, only because I've been doing the book tour, I've been talking about this more and I say it and I'm just like, oh, do I want to (laughs) say that I've been in trouble? Yes. So, it wasn't until that experience that I realized I needed to change my life. I needed to create another pathway because the one that I was on was quickly leading me down a road that I'd seen so many times with family members, with brothers and sisters of friends of mine that I've grown up with. And when I found yoga and meditation and mindfulness, it came at a time where I was really searching for something. I was really looking to connect to something bigger than myself. When I got introduced to meditation as a way to help me cope with these debilitating panic attacks that I was having – I was very open. I was very much open and skeptical at the same time of anything woo, anything kind of astrology, anything. It was not a hard sell for me. I was in and this felt a little bit like that. And I feel that's the door that opened for me to begin to discover what meditation was, what yoga was, what mindfulness was. And I just dove deep and I started to learn about just different practices. You know, it wasn't just Eastern philosophy. It was Christian philosophy as well. It was learning all these different types of belief systems, ways to live life. And what I talk about in the book, these practices weren't necessarily built for me or for people like me. I think It's sort of twofold, right? As a young brown girl who grew up in an environment where a lot of things felt like they weren't for me, I felt that this would be just another one of those things, right, that I couldn't do. Mm
1: Oh, well, thank you for sharing all of that. It's just been such know, a lot. journey. Well, everything from being the confused little girl to the young adult who was arrested for the third time into what you're doing now with helping so many women. Like that journey is just so beautiful. And you brought up skepticism. And I know there are many people in this audience that still feel skeptical with things like meditation, yoga, movement, thinking that it's something that other people should do, but not yes. for themselves. If I'm being honest, I was one of those people for a very long time, and I wanted to read a quote from your book. This one really stuck out to me. It says, practice gives you the ability to return to the core of who you are, to be at home within yourself, to accept yourself fully as you are. Uh, So, Rosie, can you talk about your first voyages into meditation and yoga and just everything that they brought on? Why did you seek them? Maybe some reassurance also that you might not be good at being present right away at the start.
0: Yeah. I think that that is my favorite part of my career and what I do is meeting people like you that had that difficult time or felt like maybe this type of work or practice didn't resonate for some reason. And then you maybe found that one part that felt like it connected a little bit more. Now, so a few of my first forays into meditation were very unglamorous. I had a very difficult time being still. I had a very difficult time accepting whether I was doing something right because I oftentimes just felt like a complete failure because I couldn't meditate or I felt like the minute I would meditate, I'd start thinking about something else or I would utilize it as my organization time or my listing time to create lists about lists that I needed to do and complete. And I, I began really feeling like I didn't understand what the point was. I didn't really get why this was a thing and why it would help. But what I began to learn was that there wasn't a ideal that I was striving towards because I want to do things right. If I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it right. And I feel like in our society, that's what we're conditioned to do, especially f- for me growing up, being a bad kid, knowing what it's like to break the law, all I wanted to do was to do things right, you know, to have things done the right way. And then everything after that, seeing the positive affirmation and the way that my life began to change. The feedback that I was getting was that if you follow the rules and you do things right, your life will begin to expand and it will create this really happy life and so on. It was interesting because with meditation, I felt like I wanted to do it right so much that it was creating the adverse effect. It was creating more anxiety. It was creating this energy that was like just extremely activating for me until i was reading a lot of john Kabat-Zinn, whose background is mostly on buddhist philosophy buddhist type of meditation mindfulness and i really liked the basic forms of meditation where it's like you know i just sit there and breathe and connect as much as you can bring your attention and awareness back to your body and back to your breath. And it was those moments because I'd spent so much of my time being disembodied, leaving my body when I was in fear, wanting to escape that the invitation to enter myself was completely life-changing. It was in realizing that meditation isn't something that I need to essentially do. Do, it was something that I needed to experience. You don't have to do anything. It's like that moment, those moments that you set aside for doing a physical practice. So, the mind, body, and spirit component are the mind body component specifically are very much intertwined in what you're saying, Abby, about you were saying how you had a hard time, right? That integration. I think a lot of us do because we feel we've fragmented every area of our life where work is work, family life is family life, parenting is parenting, friend is friend, being a friend is, you know, I feel like doing these types of contemplative practices gives us an opportunity to integrate it all and become a whole human as opposed to being a fragmented person that ultimately can't be all things to all people.
2: Yeah. And that part of the book, what really stuck out to me was the idea of practice. And when I first started yoga, it was honestly to kind of check the box off of like moving my body kind of like as a workout. And then also when I reflect and like I was looking around more than I was like experiencing my own body and you're just like, Seeing what other people are doing. Oh my gosh. I want to be able to do that pose at the full expression. And then when I came back to yoga, you know, five years later, after I've had these kids and stuff, I was like, wow, for the first time, I feel like I'm present. I'm not thinking about the next thing in my day. I'm like sinking into this experience. And it's like, I don't know if it was just a little bit more age that helped me to do that. But there's other areas where I still need to work on things and being more present. I think we all are practicing. One thing that came across in your book is the idea of social media and how prevalent it's become for most of us. So I just had a few days in which I broke my phone and I couldn't use it. Wow. And it was awesome like it was a gift it felt like freedom i didn't miss it i just felt like i was able to fully be present now i don't want other people to break their phones to have that experience so i'm wondering like are there any practices that you have in place any boundaries that you set, like how do you make sure that social media isn't having a negative impact on you? Cause I want to read you a quote you wrote in your book. You said, I noticed how much it made me focus on what is not happening in my life as opposed to what is happening.
0: Yeah. What a great experience, Amy, that you had. Yeah. I don't recommend breaking your phone in order to have <laughs> that experience. But also, I think it's definitely an experience that we need to have, especially when social media has infiltrated so much of our existence, right? I mean, I'm a huge boundary person when it comes, well, with everything. (laughs) But when it comes to technology specifically, uh, I often take social media breaks. I clock in and I clock out in the morning. I have to do my morning ritual practices before I actually look at my phone. My phone actually is it's in my office, but even when I go into my office, I always do some writing in the morning. I do this it's part of my morning ritual. I write. I don't check emails. Basically everything on my computer, you know, sometimes we keep tabs open or we have like a browser up from the day before where it's a reminder to do something the following day. I clear all of that off of my computer. So in the morning, when I open my computer, the only thing that's there is a Word doc. that's a blank page. So it's ready to go. So I'm not distracted because if it's up or I leave my email up, it's the first thing I see. And so creating a clear slate in the morning and at night, it's a great way to bookend your attention and your energy. So in the morning after I do my morning ritual, I do some meditation. I do a little bit of movement. I do my writing. After that's done, I open the email, I get my phone, and then I start my day, right? So typically, I log in at a certain time. Maybe it's like 8.30, 9 a.m. And then in the evening at about 6, I'm self-employed, so, but I still try and keep like normal work hours. So by six o'clock, it's typically time for me to make dinner or to start my evening time to just decompress. I put the phone away and it goes into my office. And then I don't, the phone doesn't make an appearance again until the next day. And that was really difficult to do. But after a couple of weeks of doing it, it really helped. And what I do is too, when I clock out, I minimize the tabs. The tabs are still there, right? So it's not like I'm losing my place of things that I need to do. I just minimize everything and I put my Word doc up on my computer. So it's the first thing that I see. I think if we preemptively prepare, (laughs) it gives us more power to take those things that are going to take our energy away. I look at energy as you know, in, in yoga, we call it prana. It's like vitality, right? So think about your body is this full battery. You're a complete full battery. Your energy is taken away throughout the day, right? Family, friends, anything that's taking your attention, which they can also feed your energy. You know, you plug into people. Sometimes you have a good friend. They give you a shoulder to cry on. That's charging you up, right? So if you look at yourself as a battery, you're seeing people that are either going to plug into you or you get to plug into them. Same thing with anything that's going to take your attention. So just think about it as attention equals energy. So if your phone is taking away energy and you're just scrolling, I mean, think about how long, how many minutes. I mean, now there's tools where you can actually see how much time you spent on social media or apps or your email or whatever it may be. So you have direct feedback, you can actually see that. So if you start to minimize that time, you can accomplish so much more. I mean, this book would have never happened had I not set those boundaries. There's just absolutely no way. Because especially social media specifically for me in my experience, It's so insidious because it's, oh, I got to DM my friend. Oh, I have to see what so-and-so is doing. Oh, look at this person just created this. It's so easy to go down the rabbit hole. Oh, oh my God, those are cute shoes. Hold on, let me click on this. Oh, look at, oh, I love that necklace. What is Oh, oh, somebody's at a music event. Okay, wait, who's playing? Oh, I don't follow this artist. (laughs) You know, it's just the constant, you're going down the rabbit hole and it's been an hour. Or two hours where you could have been doing something else. You could have been writing your book proposal. You could have been planning content for your podcast. You could have been, you know, looking for a coach. You could have been coaching a client. You know, you could be doing so many other things where we don't look at the accumulation of it all because everything is just going to be a second, right? I'm just going to go for a second, two seconds. We can take time out of one, two sec. I'm doing air quotes, two seconds thing and put it into something else that's going to serve our highest good. It really is about shifting your perspective. I mean, there's a 1,440 minutes, 1,440 minutes in a day. You can take five of those minutes to meditate. You can take five of those minutes to just sit and be in nature, sit outside for five minutes and just contemplate, just think of whatever your mind wants to do. You can take five of those minutes to just do some writing, you know, or sending a voice note to a friend just
1: to check in, you know, so it's really just a matter of choice. A quick break from our podcast sponsor which is better help online therapy as many of you may know may is mental health awareness month but as you also know at herself we don't just save mental health awareness for the month of may we are talking about this often and better online therapy has been our longest standing partner they've been with us since we were a brand new podcast because amy and i believe that taking care of yourself and taking care of your mental health that is important not just for you, but for the people around you the ones you love the most, making sure that you can be there for them in the ways that you want to show up. And the reason we love BetterHelp Online Therapy is because it's less expensive than typical therapy. You can be matched within just two days, and there's no waiting in awkward waiting rooms or having to leave work early or find childcare because you can do it from the comfort of your own home. And as a Herself listener, you do get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. Again, 10% off your first month because your mental health matters at com backslash herself.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. It's what you were saying for me, what's landing is like the constant interruption. So you're always like, oh, it's five minutes. I'm just going to And my kindergartner called me out on it. He's like, you always say just a second. And for people like us, like we're using Instagram as a business tool, but we can't use that thought as a crutch to always be on it. And when your kids notice it, it's like, it's a good reflection for you to take that as it is. And he was right. And this leads right into the next thought that I had when I was reading your book. You said, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. And this thought to me seems so intertwined with social media because it's honestly like a front row seat to comparison. Like You're scrolling and you're seeing what everyone else is doing, but I know comparison shows up for our community in every aspect of their life. So... You're comparing, you know, if you've found a partner, if you want to, like, when did you find your partner? When are you going to have kids? How is your career doing against everyone else's career? You know, who's redoing their house and making renovations? It's like, you can really get stuck in this constant state of comparison. And I do think that social media frames it in a very in-your-face way.
0: Yeah.
2: you reminded us that each one of us is one of a kind and i wanted to see what is your advice for how we can start to loosen that grip of comparison
0: yeah this is oh i'm like this is a whole other conversation i mean it definitely relates to what we're talking about i think we have to weigh it out for ourselves with how something makes us feel as a tool social media is incredible because it allows us to connect with people that we may have otherwise not ever been able to connect with. And obviously during a pandemic, I mean, what a blessing, right? We were Mm -hmm. able to really connect with people all over the world who are going through the same things that we were. So it, it really did provide that connective thread. However, if you can assess whether something is serving you or not serving you will really help direct the answer to that question. For the most part, I mean, right now that book is out, it's incredible to see people post about it. Of course, it makes me feel good. And it's amazing hearing people's feedback. Like it really, it's beautiful. I can't even describe it, right? It's just beyond my scope of humility. You know, I just, I can't. But at the same time, I've never gotten off of social media and felt amazing about my life and been like, wow, my life is amazing. (laughs) I've always gotten off social media feeling a little bit less than, a little bit like, oh, man, how can I have skin like that? Or how can I do that with my business? You know? And I feel like for some people that can be very inspiring and it can be very motivating. It can be very fueling. I would venture to say that the majority of us are going to have an adverse effect. And I think if we understand what that assessment is for us, we can then begin to create the parameters around how something gets to plug into our battery. We get to decide how and when something or someone gets to plug in. Because we're the ones that push that button, right? We're the ones that click the icon that says, oh, here, let's go see. But I just became more aware of it, where I was very intentional. And I think that the answer to all of it and what radical love and having a radically loved life, the sort of undertone experience is to make a choice, to make those choices intentionally. And I feel that when we do that, it gives us a deeper sense of empowerment.
1: Ah, uh, that was so well said. And even as you went through that, I was like, "Yeah, you could always put it on the second page of your apps or remove the notifications. But at the end of the day, it is making that intentional choice. Mm-hmm. Like only you can make that for yourself. And I love how you keep on going back to this analogy of the battery, Rosie, and just like thinking of your battery being filled up, what are the things that are sucking from that battery? and make an intentional choice to not do those as much? And instead, fueling yourself throughout the day. A quick break from our podcast partner, which is Rothy's. Have you ever seen someone wearing a cute pair of flats and thought, dang, I just love those. They might have been Rothy's because Rothy's are the perfect shoes for commuting, for traveling. Everyone notices them. They're known for their chic pointed toe flats, but that is truly just the beginning. They have tons of iconic head turning designs in bright, but sophisticated colors and the old favorites that, you know, Amy and I love. Plus Rothy's works great with every outfit. You can wear them with yoga pants or dress them up for a night out. You guys, if you have not tried Rothy's. They are insanely comfortable, almost like a slipper. And as soon as you take your first step, you're like, okay, this is how a shoe is supposed to fit. And we love that Rothy's takes sustainability to the very next level. All their products are knit with thread made from plastic water bottles, and they've repurposed around 125 million water bottles so far. And this is truly just the start. So enjoy your first pair of Rothy's by going to rothys.com backslash herself, and that will take $20 off your first order. We do love the pointed toe flat and the Chelsea. So check those out while you look at the other amazing designs. Again, that's rothys.com backslash herself. And in one of your chapters, you start the chapter right away with, We like straight lines because we can see what's ahead of us. The unknown can be scary. You go on to talk about how hard it is for all of us to be present in the moment. And a lot of our listeners, they're likely thinking about what they're going to do after they're done listening to this podcast, or they're doing it while they're listening to the podcast, or they're exactly the multitasking is so real. And this one, it speaks to my soul. Like as someone who lives by a checklist is always. Has a plan for what's next. I get it. Like, I definitely feel this one. So, can you talk about how we can start to bring ourselves into awareness of the present moment more often?
0: Yes. Well, nothing is more certain than uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And we live in this age where, as advanced as we are, we still don't know a lot. (laughs) There's a lot that we still don't know part of what creates this intense level of anxiety and stress has more to do with our inability to see what's coming to see what's ahead and it depends on the type of person you are sometimes people can live their life fully in the present moment just taking it one stride at a time and others get very manic and It's very important for us to learn how to keep the balance in that equation, right? Because there's nothing wrong with either or. One isn't better than the other. It just is what is your temperament. Whatever your temperament is, it is what it is. You can try and change it. You can try to be the opposite. But most of the time, I think it's going to serve us more to just accept what is. And learn ways to set those boundaries, right? So if you're the person like myself, I'll put myself in that equation. I need to know what's happening. I like to make lists. I'm a planner, but I also am happy to let go of the attachment if something doesn't go according to plan, you know? And I think that that is where this idea that I write about in the book about self-compassion comes in. Of course, we all want to know what's ahead. Of course, we all want to know what is coming. We want to prepare. But there's a difference between the desire of wanting to be organized and prepared and the desire to know what's going to happen. And if something doesn't happen my way, then there's the difference. So, can you remain in a state of openness, meanwhile, being a really great planner and listographer and saying, it's okay if things don't go according to plan, what's next? You know, then no, I have to know what's going on. Do you see there's a different energy to it? One can give you energy to your battery and the other can potentially siphon energy away. You can waste an entire battery life just worried about what's not happening.
2: That's a really interesting answer because what I'm hearing is like, if we focused on refining who we are innately instead of trying to change who we are innately, it's like, that's what's coming up for me. I'm kind of the opposite of you too. I forget to like make a list. I forget to worry. I like just, that's just who I am. And a lot of people are like, how do you do that? It's like, I literally don't do anything. This is just who I am. And probably, you know, the way I was brought up, So it gets really interesting because it's like, we're not saying to change yourself, but like, can you round the edges? Because I have to also come your guys' way sometimes. Like I have to show up for my interviews on time, even though I would forget to, you know? So it's like, it gets really interesting. I wanted to change the subject a little bit here because one thing that I really did want to talk about on this podcast that I read in your book is when you talked about toxic diet culture. And so to give people a background, you're living in LA, you had thought you were really interested in being a yoga teacher in this specific studio. You tried out, you felt the energy was off. You did not land the job. They called you and they said, you know, we are looking for teachers essentially with a different body type. They had a body type of teacher that they wanted. So I kind of wanted you to talk about your journey with Body image because I know that this is a journey that a lot of our listeners are on right now.
0: Yeah, that was uh, my weight has fluctuated my entire life. I love food, as, as do we, <laughs> m- as I feel like a lot of people, everyone does. I love to eat, and I never really thought anything about my physical form, like I talk about it in the book, I happened to find people that were supportive of me wanting to get healthy. And I started running and I started working out. But it was during that process that I started to learn about food and the importance of eating healthy and looking at my body as a temple as opposed to this just vessel, right? So, there was a different experience I was having physically, I started to practice yoga and I just, it was the first time I'd ever felt good in my body. Like I had never weighed whether I felt good or bad in my body. It just Mm -hmm. was, you know, I didn't think about it. And as I began to get older and I started to feel the importance of that relationship, I began to realize how terrible, I would treat it and how I would just sort of force myself physically because I wanted to look a certain way or I wanted to feel a certain way, not thinking of doing something lovingly. I mean, you think about your relationship with your body. So most people have a tenuous relationship with their bodies at best. The best comparison I could create a metaphor for it would be you know, that friend that is not really a friend, but like you'll go hang out with sometimes you might go on a hike with them, but it's not somebody you want to talk to every day. You kind of are just like, eh, I could take it or leave it if I'm bored, you know, for a fact that you can call them and go on a little hike or go for coffee, but it's not necessarily somebody you want to spend time with all the time. That was my relationship to my body. It just kind of felt like this thing. And I'm like, I guess I should be nice to it, but I don't really care. So let's just really push it as hard as we possibly can and put her in a really sweaty, hot yoga room and really like push her to run like 11 miles in a day and just really create this intense physical pain because that's just what we are conditioned to believe is healthy at that time for me anyway. And I had done a lot of work, around it. Obviously, I talk about having an eating disorder in the book when I was working in the beauty industry, because that really created the awareness to what I should look like and who I should be. And so, I began going to therapy. At that time, I was doing a lot of self-work. And as I was saying, self-healing, and I started to treat myself differently because I could feel the difference. Me treating my body as a bestie as opposed to that friend that you occasionally call was a different energy. It felt like I was giving myself more of that charge than it was the depleting energy. And so once I began to do that work, I completely started to change my inner dialogue. You know, I would look in the mirror before and be like, ugh, like you again or... Ugh, I really don't like this part of my body. Or I just would get activated. I started to change the dialogue and look at myself in the mirror and greet myself just like I would somebody that I loved, just like I would my little sister. You know, that one I think got me the most because I have a little sister and I would never talk to her the way that mm-hmm. I would talk to myself. Like I would never talk to my older sister the way that I would talk to myself. I would never talk to any of my. Best friends, the way that I would talk to myself. Even when I would hear my other female friends say, Oh, I hate this about my body, or, you know, they would go into, oh, I have the scar or whatever. It just instinctually I would just go into nurturing mode. You know, I'd be like, no, 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 you're beautiful. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and it's so easy for us to tell somebody else, accept somebody fully as they are. We don't think about them needing to improve or lose a couple extra pounds or remove their cellulite or whatever. It's just like, no, you're beautiful. I accept you as a complete human. And so that's where the dialogue change began to happen. And once I got to this place where I felt really good and I'm like, okay, like I am a curvy girl and I need to get into it because that's what we got. And she's great you know, and she's going to be healthy and she's going to treat herself the way she needs to be treated. She's going to get nourished well. She's going to get talked to with respect and love and care. And I did. And it was interesting that story that you're talking about specifically when I get to this point, finally, right after years of having this tenuous relationship with my body, and then I Go do this job teaching yoga of all things, my like most highest spiritual practice. And the yoga manager says, We're looking for somebody that's a little bit more fit. I'm just like, Wait, what? How is that even a thing here? Like, this is not even what we're teaching. We're teaching about the mind, body, and spirit connection. I thought yoga was for everybody, body, everybody. No, I guess it's not for everybody, right? And thank God that studio is no longer around, but having these tools of acceptance and self-compassion really helped me utilize that moment to not break me because it could have been very easy for me to fall back into that negative cycle, that negative spin, that negative self-talk, especially when somebody says to me, you're basically not what we're looking for because you don't fit our physical requirement." But I didn't and I'm glad that I didn't and I'm so grateful that I didn't because it just created a stronger relationship to my physical form
2: you know you just took us on such a journey over time and I think a lot of us are nodding along and just like revisiting our own journeys and what we've been through to end up at a place where it's like whoa under all of that it's really like self-acceptance it's self-love and many of us had to do some healing underneath before we could really like embrace that so thank you so much for sharing that journey and i want you to let everyone know where they can find more of you
0: they can they can go to radicallyloved.com all my information's there as much as i Talk smack about social media. Uh, I'm there every day. It's at Rosie Acosta everywhere across the board.
1: Just not after 6 p.m., right? (laughs) Just not after 6
0: p.m. And typically I take at least 20. I always tell people, give me 24 hours to respond.
1: And I'm like,
0: they're not going to get a response till the next day. I'm sure once we have children, this is all going to change. All of my friends now all have kids and I've babysat so many times, and I'm like, I just do not know how you parents do it. I have the utmost respect and so much compassion for you all because taking care of children just in itself is a full, fuller-time job. I always learn so much from my besties with kids because I'm like, okay, how do you do this? Like, what do I do? I have a rigid schedule. Like, are my kids going to understand that I need to go to bed at a certain time? She's like, no, they don't care. I'm like,
1: oh, okay. Well, as a fellow list lover rule follower and planner i can tell you there are definitely some changes that (laughs) we put into place for people like us to become parents but it's always about that transformation right yes and if we learned anything from this interview it's finding yourself in all of it and staying true to yourself even if you take on another title like mom so thank you so much for this interview for all of those listening find one of the things that Rosie talked about today. Maybe it's being reacquainted with a yoga practice or meditation or just sitting and being for five minutes of the 1440 that we have in the day and just using a little bit of time to reconnect with yourself. Thanks again so much, Rosie.
0: Thank you. Thank you both so much.